Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 257. I had a conversation with Barbara Kaplan Bennett. She uh, had melanoma and ended up having to lose her nose. And she wears a prosthetic nose now. She wrote a book about her experience. It's called Noseworthy. She's a lovely woman. We had a great conversation. I really enjoy her. Uh, she references an article that she was writing about euthanasia and pets that was going to, she was going to pitch to Huffington Post. That article has come out. So I'll make sure to post that on heyhumanpodcast.com uh, so that you can check out that article along with everything else that we talk about. I want to mention too that she sent me a bunch of pictures uh, pre- Losing the nose, losing the nose, and then with the prosthetic. So I will put those on Instagram and at Hey Human Podcast Instagram and also on the Facebook page if you want to check those out. Okay, uh, news of the week. Um, I am excited to announce that I'm going to be hosting and show running a documentary out of Decatur, Alabama. Super excited for that. I will keep everybody posted. It's, it's pretty cool, though. Um, I get my second shot next week. And after two weeks of that, then I will be good to go. So, yay. I'm trying to think if there was anything else new and exciting. I've been so busy lately that um, I don't think I've even watched any new shows or I feel bad. Ellen, my best friend, keeps saying, you have to watch this, you have to watch this, and I haven't gotten to watch anything. Um, so, yeah, nothing exciting to report on that front. I think I told you about that I read the book Immoral Man, and that was really good, but I know I've already told you about that, so I won't dwell on that one. Uh, other than that, uh, things are going well. I'm getting out there and taking long walks, getting sunshine. It feels so good. And... That's about the extent of my exciting life. Sad, right? I want to give a shout out and say thank you to uh, the person that donated to Hey Human Podcast uh, recently. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. It's it's very helpful in keeping this show alive. And uh, thank you. That's it's really awesome. All right. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast can be found on, as I mentioned, Instagram and Facebook under Hey Human Podcast. You can email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. I answer every email. Uh, if you, When you go to heyhumanpodcast.com, you will find the links page. Every episode has its own pile of links. This one is no different. You'll find stuff about my guests, their books that they're writing, articles we talk about, subjects we're talking about, all that stuff. So definitely check out the links page. You'll also find the storefront where there is Hey Human merch. It's a great way to support the podcast. And uh, I tried to make cool things that you might like. So check that out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts because it is immensely mm, so important. It's I cannot stress that enough that every review helps push the algorithm in the favor of the podcast. So please, please do that if you can. Uh, if you want to sign up on my mailing list, go to susanruth.com, which is a completely different website than Hey Human Podcast, but it's where I post about if I'm interviewed for anything or my artwork is on there, music that I've written for other people or for myself. And uh, as I said, you can sign up on the mailing list there on susanruth.com. 
Speaking of music, if you go to iTunes or Spotify, you will find me under Susan Ruth. I've got a bunch of albums out. Check that out. And I think that's about it uh, for the week. Thank you for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for spreading the word about the show. Um, I just, I love doing this so much. And because of you, I get to keep doing it. So that's that's a big that's a big hug for me out there into the world. Um, yeah, stay safe, be well, be kind, and uh, here we go. Barbara Kaplan Bennett, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you for having me. I, I learned about you uh, through an article I saw online, and. I had read about it a few months back and I screenshot when I when I see people that I think, oh, that's an interesting person I want to talk to. And I was cleaning up my horrifying desktop that was covered in things. And I came across your email. I was like, oh, yeah, I need to email her. So that that's how I discovered you. It was happenstance. I'm so glad, you know, the Huffington Post article reached way more people than I ever imagined because they tweeted it out and they have like, I don't know how many million followers. So I was just, that was just a gift. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, let Before we get too far deep into where you are now, or even the last, I don't know, 15 years, tell me where, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? What was childhood? I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, freezing my very tiny tushy off and um, went to the University of Minnesota, have a degree in literature, uh, which I discovered much later that my father did not object to my degree in literature only because he thought I would be married and taken care of. <laughs> that was life in the 60s and 70s. Classic. Uh, but uh, yeah, and I spent much of my life as a legal assistant for a law firm, um, transitioned about 17 years ago to be to working for Closets by Design as a space designer. All of those years I spent writing novels, trying to write the cliche great American novel and realized at some point I am not a brilliant novelist. I... I feel like I'm good. I'm a good writer. I have a way with words, but fiction is a special gift that isn't really my forte. Essay writing, memoir writing, uh, opinion pieces, things like that. That's kind of where I figured out I do my best work. And uh, I didn't write for a long, long time because I just was like, what's the point? You know, getting things published is impossible. And actually, it's it's one of the, you know, people always say there's the silver lining to the horrible freak show um, is that it gave me my writing back. So I I'm very happy that 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 losing losing my nose and the cancer and all that that is the topic of this podcast really kicked me back into writing gear. So that was a gift. It is quite interesting when to be able to see that the gifts out of the tragic moments in our lives that, you know, sometimes you don't have to look too deeply to go, oh, wait, that that has created this whole other thing that I forgot I had or was, you know, yeah. dormant. Did you grow up in a, well, I mean, so Minnesota, not, 
that isn't sunny. Did were you a sun worshiper every chance you got? Like, yeah, I mean, again, this was like the late sixties, early seventies when I was in high school, and there, there, the thing that you did on a sunny day because they weren't always sunny. You laid out, you splattered yourself with baby oil and you laid out in your backyard. If if you were lucky, you had one of those metal, you know, screen things to reflect back on the sun. And, you know, you just, nobody paid attention. Nobody wore sunblock. In fact, you had sun tanning oil, you know, from Coppertone or baby oil or cocoa butter. That was my sister's thing. Nobody paid attention. And when I asked you know, years later when I was going through all this and I asked my doctor, I said, you know, any idea how how did this happen? He said, too many sunburns before the age of 18 is often where melanoma comes from, which is why I believe there's this huge brouhaha about those under the age of 18 and tanning salons. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you're the, you know, the layers of your epidermis, which, of course, are constantly renewing themselves. But if you go deep enough with, you know, the carcinogens, I guess, I don't know, am I making that word up? No, that works. (laughs) If you go deeply enough with carcinogens, you're going to damage the basic structure of your skin. And there, there is the rub. I mean, everyone in my high school tanned, everyone non-stop some some the guys and the girls and some girls went every day after school and you're much younger than i am i think yeah but yeah so i think i don't think awareness really started until maybe this century yeah you know uh that people really started to talk about the increase in cases of melanoma, and it started to become very frequent for young women, especially to be diagnosed and to some sadly lose their lives. How did you first notice something was amiss? Um, It's, it's, do you want the whole version? Bring it on. I want to mention that your skin is flawless. You have a a lovely sort of pale with the nice pink cheeks and the dark hair. And I think you have dark eyes. I have, uh, yeah, I have dark, they're sort of, I call them the color of mud. They're greenish brown. They're hazel. Yeah, hazel, hazel eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, your complexion is, is rather fair, but. Yes, very yeah. fair. Actually, yeah. I, I liken myself to fish belly white. You know, it's like. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And a lot of that is because I haven't really been in the sun now for many, many years. If you saw my sister or my niece who have a much darker complexion, who are sun worshipers, um, they they are very, you know, they are very different. They are um, it's just a very different look and a different texture and a different everything. You and, also look very young. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Which is, again, sun damage is, is hard on the skin. So wait, so you had melanoma and yet your 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 niece and your sister still are sunbathers. Well, they they wear sunblock now. Okay. I think I think what happened to me put a little bit of the fear of God into them. But my niece particularly is a nautical queen. She's, you know, loves being out on the boat. She they both live in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, and you know, it's um that's what you do in Minnesota. And, you know, my sister's older than I am. And she's at the point where she just kind of, it doesn't really matter for this, for her at this stage. And honestly, 
if if I were diagnosed now as opposed to 10 years ago, I probably would have a little bit different attitude about it as well. But when you're still in your 50s and you're diagnosed, you still feel like you have a fair amount of life ahead of you and you you don't want to jeopardize that. But, you know, now at the age as you get older, I have a very dear friend in her 80s who won't get diagnostic tests of any kind anymore. No mammograms, no colonoscopies, because as she says, what's the point? I'm not going to do anything about it anyway. I'm, I think she's 86. I've lived a good life. That's good enough. So, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. having true dominion over your body, right? And yes. I, I was watching something the other day, and I know this is going off topic for a second, but I, I still think it's interesting. Uh, I was watching something the other day, and they were talking to a doctor who said, you know, here's the thing is modern medicine is extraordinary. And it has created a world in which people live way past what they normally would. The unfortunate side to that is that you have you know, nursing homes and care facilities packed full of people who are, you know, catatonic or, or very ill that are being kept alive, which seems uh, cruel, you know, for lack of a better word. And I thought, wow, that's a really, it's a really fascinating point. It, it is. And it's very interesting that you say that and very synchronistic because I'm about to pitch another piece to the Huffington Post about the recent demise, uh, home euthanasia of one of my cats uh, in November and about it was such a beautiful such a beautiful experience holding him and all of that. And I talk about why don't we do this for ourselves, why don't we give our we give this gift to our animals because they don't have quality of life anymore? Yeah. And why don't we recognize the quality of life for ourselves is so important? And it just it's it's an excellent question. And in in Oregon, of course, and I believe Washington now, you yeah. are allowed to have, be assisted yes. in in crossing over. When my dad died, oh gosh, it's been 24 years, even though he had a do not resuscitate and he was clearly in distress and he wasn't ever going to come back from it. Um, they fought us, you know, get, we were like, give him more morphine, give him more. Oh, well, we can only give a certain amount of morphine per hour. And we all were, you know, just aghast, like, what are you afraid he's going to get addicted? I mean, just give him as much morphine as you, you know. Yeah. Push. Morphine. Seven lots of that good night for sure. Really, yeah. really. And that's what we knew he wanted. And yeah. ultimately they did. And you know, but but you shouldn't have to fight for that. Um if if the family and the person have made their wishes known. But yes, we did digress, didn't we? Yeah, we did. All right. So let's get back to you. So how, when did you first okay. notice something was amiss? Okay. So Gosh, I'm not even sure exactly what it must have been about 15 or 16 years ago. I had something on my nose. Maybe it was even longer. Something on my nose. It was a little flesh colored. You know, you think melanoma, black spot. It was a little flesh colored bump and it would do weird things. It would get like irritated and like red and peely and then it would heal up and then it would do it again. Again. And so I went to my doctor, you know, you need a referral to go to a dermatologist, went to my doctor, I said, I have this weird thing. He sent me to a dermatologist, a guy I had never met before. Um, I was still in my 40s at that time. And he looked at it and said, Oh, it's just uh, scar tissue. 
And I'm like, scar tissue? Why would I have scar tissue on my nose? From what? Oh, who knows? But here, just put this um, cortisone ointment on it and it'll clear it up. Well, of course it didn't. And I was, and it got weirder and weirder. And then a little black dot appeared on it. And I went to my dermat uh, my regular doctor and said, I don't want to see that dermatologist again. I want to go see somebody else. And it kind of argued, no, I saw the record. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I said, I know this is weird. I'm telling you there's something weird about this. And that was my great lesson in being an advocate for yourself with your doctors and I, I, he gave me a referral to a different dermatologist and I went to her and the first words out of her mouth were, let's, let's biopsy that. So she biopsied it, came back saying it was a combination squamous and basal cell carcinoma and that they would do a Mohs technique on it. Are you familiar with the Mohs technique? Okay. okay. So they take, they take a little bit of whatever it is and they hope they get clean margins. You stay in the doctor's office with this open wound. They look at it under a microscope. If they got clean margins all the way around where they cut, there's no cancer. They sew you up. They patch you up in whatever aesthetic way they can and send you on your way. If there's a little bit of cancer cells showing on any edge of that, then they go back in and take just a little bit more just where they saw the cells so that they're not just taking off a big chunk of your skin anywhere on your face. And they do that repeatedly until they get clean margins. It took only two two scrapings or two cuttings for them to get mine and say, oh, clean margins. They took a little flap from my nose and folded it over to cover the area because it was an open wound. And, uh, and, and that was that. And I had a weird little kind of divot in my nose that, of course, I honed in on every time I looked in the mirror. It's like, oh, my God, look at this horrible thing. You can see it. It's so horrible. What a joke to me now, right? <laughs> um, so... You know, after that, I forgot about it and I didn't worry any more about it. I got a yearly checkup from a dermatologist. Everything was fine. And eventually little brown spots appeared there and, you know, changes in insurance. Now I went to a different dermatologist because I had a different doctor and she said, oh, it's just freckling. It's just from the scar tissue of what they did to you before. Don't worry about it. And then it, it got to be to the point where people started saying to me, you have dirt on your nose, you have chocolate on your nose, you have ink on your nose. And I got so annoyed by that, that I went back to a different dermatologist who said, oh, let's biopsy that again. So they did melanoma in situ, which is very low, stage zero, no problem, we'll do a Mohs. It's not deep, we'll do the Mohs, you'll be fine, everything will be great. I go in to do the Mohs, they start taking, it's a, a completely different process and I don't wanna to get too much into the medical details, it is in the book, but they, after a couple of days, they don't do it all in one day like with other cancers, melanoma is over the course of a number of days. And the doctor finally called and said, the pathologist said, it's much deeper than we thought. We cannot get it all with the Mohs procedure. I'm sending you to our head and neck surgeon, our oncological head and neck surgeon. I have a question. Yes. It, do you think that because they closed the wound with more skin from your nose, that was where, that it's still, that the, the, 
the idea that uh, the or the little mechanism that turns on cancer was right. there, and so it just transferred. That is an excellent question. I never thought about that, but uh, what I sort of thought happened, although that is a very good scenario, a possibility. What I thought happened is, is they just didn't recognize it. It's a very, it's desmoplastic melanoma. It's a very difficult to diagnose melanoma because it doesn't present. It, it looks like scar tissue. That was the, if you look up desmoplastic melanoma is often mistaken as scar tissue, which is what the very first dermatologist said. My belief is I had it from the very beginning. Nobody recognized it. So it just sat there and went deeper and deeper. And even though they took the top layer off, they didn't really get the depth. They got it this way, but they didn't get it in you know, as deep as they should have. I think it's very hard to know. And people were all like, oh, don't you want to sue those doctors? They missed it. It's like, no. I, I had three different pathologists, four different dermatologists before somebody actually figured out what it was. Oh, that was over the course of all those years. Those were all the people I saw. You can't fault somebody if it's a difficult to recognize thing. And all of those doctors saw me and none of them knew what it was until they started doing that, the other Mo's and they were going deeper and deeper. And one pathologist at Kaiser said, something is really weird here. And he actually called back the original, uh, by, looked at the records of the original biopsy, froze it, did all this stuff and said, this is what it is. Well, and so, to your credit, you didn't, you knew in your gut something was amiss as well. Yes, I pressed it. And, and, you know, lesson for everybody, be your own advocate. If you know, if you know, deep in your gut that there's something going on, go until, you know, fight for yourself until you're satisfied that you've gotten the care. And especially for women who are often dismissed. Oh, it'll be okay, honey. It's not that big of a deal. You'll be fine. Yeah. So you really have to, you really have to press for yourself and be vigilant. And so when it was diagnosed, um, desmoplastic melanoma, fortunately for me, or I probably wouldn't still be here, is very slow to metastasize. Um, it is very locally aggressive. And so if you don't get it all, it comes back over and over and over. And the surgeon who saw me, who was a wonderful man, Dr. McNichol, he was just wonderful. And he said, it's up to you. I can just take a piece of your nose, hope that we get it all. But if we didn't, it'll be back and you'll be in here again for another surgery. And that could happen until the day comes when it finally we're talking about your remaining time left. And because we didn't get it all. And sooner or later, it's going to metastasize. It just, you know, it'll get there, but it takes a long time. And if we don't get it all, you are giving it the opportunity to travel in your body. So that was, uh, so this, this whole thing, and I don't know how well here, I'll get close up. Can you see? And of yeah. course, you listeners can't. This is my prosthetic and it pops right off. I don't know how squeamish you are. Are you I'm squeamish? Not, no, I'm not squeamish. Would you like to? I mean, are sure. you curious? Sure. Okay, just pops right off like that. Oh, wow. And I have a hole in my face, which 
you can see this holds the prosthetic on and there's the inside what the inside of your head looks like <laughs> okay, is that your uh nasal uh yeah that's the septum the interior septum and the turbinates that that uh, are where your sinuses are it's oddly beautiful is that strange to say <laughs> Well, at the risk of sounding really bizarre, my chiropractor friend of mine said, it looks like a vagina. Oh, well, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that too. Absolutely. <laughs> Which, you know. It pops right back up. Oh, I got a good laugh out of that when he said that. When you heard that news, I mean, I imagine that's... I was shocked. I was yeah, in that's shock. A, that's huge news. Complete and utter shock. And, and he was very kind and gentle. My husband was with me. He was with me at every single appointment, every step of the way for the entire process. He was just the best support system ever. And we were just, we walked out of there just stunned. We, I mean, we were speechless. And we, uh, I think I even have this in the article. We got out to the street and we both, I just started to cry. And it, and it wasn't, you know, cancer is a very scary diagnosis, but the bigger thing to me was, I'm going to be a freak. I'm going to be a freak without a nose. H how am I going to live in the world without a nose? You and know, this was, this was 15 years ago, you said? So that was 10 years ago. 10 years it, was ago. About, it was about six, six or seven years after the original um, Mohs surgery where they thought it was just a basal cell and they could just get it off pretty easily and it wasn't a big deal. And I imagine in the past decade, leaps and bounds have been made in not only prosthetics, but probably in the surgeries and, uh, and in telling your body to stop being cancerous. I mean, all yeah, those. Well, first of all, there's uh, immunotherapy now for melanoma patients, which is really very successful for a lot of people and is saving a lot of lives. And if I were to have a return, which is possible, I am, I am at higher risk of having another melanoma than someone who's never been diagnosed. Um, I would probably... Uh, you know, that would be a, a very good treatment for me. Um, the other thing is, is that this nose is my fourth, one of my fourth set of noses. And as it's not so much that they've got better technology for creating these noses. UCLA did it, by the way, their prosthodontics department. But I got better at telling the doctor what I wanted and the very first doctor, I was so much in shock that it was just like, just put something on my face, you know, and they did what they thought was a pretty nose. And I was never one to have a pretty nose. I had a good size nose. I didn't have this little tiny thing. So the first nose I got, the first prosthetic was a blessing. I was so happy to have it, so happy. But as I wore it over the years, it's like, well, but this doesn't really look like me. And with each subsequent set of noses, I got better at telling the doctor, you know what, make it a little slimmer here, make it a little longer here until this is the closest to my original self that I've ever been. I'll never be that, but it's close. It is astounding. I know that and maybe you can send me some pictures that I can put on the social media, but it is astounding how real it looks. Thank you. If you were 
close up to me in person, pre-COVID mask days, you can see the egg, really. It's like, I finally got this great prosthetic and nobody even sees it. Uh, you can see the edges and I don't think I can get close enough for you to see, but the edges are, are visible if you're, if you're looking. Mm -hmm. I was told originally, oh, you're gonna have to wear glasses from now on to cover up. And it's like, I, I'm not that kind of girl. I'm like, you know what, this is me. You can see the edges. You want to wonder what's wrong with me. You want to ask, or I'm happy to tell you whatever, um, you know, I, I don't mind that people can see that there's something a little weird about my face. When you made the decision to get the surgery, to have your nose removed, uh, how does, especially a woman, how do you, I know, I mean, I'm, men are vain too, but women, you know, our <laughs> standards of beauty are way over there comparatively. So <laughs> yes. Men are. Yes, they are. <laughs> so how did you, did you have to do therapy? Did you, like, where did you come to terms with it all? If you um, did. I did. They Kaiser offered me an oncological, I think that's the right word, an oncological therapist, somebody who specialized in dealing with people who are struggling with cancer. So I did have that. Um, I saw a plastic surgeon to discuss rebuilding instead of doing a prosthetic of actually surgically creating a new nose. Um, <clears throat> my first love of my high school days back in, you know, the Midwest is a very prominent plastic surgeon in Omaha. And I called him, we're still in touch. I called him and I said, what, do, what do I do? What, you know? And he said, look, the plastic surgery to recreate an entire nose is not very advanced. He said, I, I couldn't do it. And he said, I know maybe less, I can count on one hand the number of surgeons across the country who could successfully do it. And maybe it would be fine, but maybe it wouldn't because as it heals, it's very unpredictable. There's shrinkage. It, you know, there could be infection. It's eight to 10 surgeries. It's a year and a half of your life in and out of hospitals, getting the next thing, the grafts, skin grafts might not take. There are all these things. He said, just go get the, they do great prosthetics. Just go get the prosthetic and call it a day. And that's what I did. And that's why I decided to do that. But I did see a plastic surgeon. Go ahead. I, I would say I've seen video of people growing noses on their foreheads. <laughs> yes. And that, that is not yet a, uh, uh, an option to most of the world there. Are, it's ex in experimentation, the much more um, hopeful option is 3D printing. There is a young boy, I believe at the time, and this was years ago, he's now an adult, I'm sure. Uh, he, there was a young boy about 14 who got electrocuted and it burned the entire, his nose, I mean, it just basically burned his nose off. And they 3D printed a nose and attached it to his face. And, and, and so that it, the skin eventually grew, I mean, it actually became he didn't take it on and off like I do with this. It became a part of his face. That is where the most hope is rather than growing something on, because I don't know how you control growing and know it's like science fiction. Yeah, it's fascinating though. It's it, And the 3D printing uh, on many levels for uh, prosthetic use is 
fascinating and what an exciting science. Yes, yes. If I were younger, I, you know, I would want to maybe look more into being a part of that world because, you know, but I'm not. So <laughs> when you were married and still are, obviously, but you yes. were married at the time that all this was going down, as you mentioned, your husband and you left the, the office and, and you cried. How, from his perspective, but which you can't speak for him, but I'm assuming you know what he was going through during all this time. And how did that affect the two of you? Well, first, let me preface by saying I did not meet my husband until I was 41. So I was a first time bride at 42. And which, you know, love it. Yeah. Yay. So I because I was in my 40s and because he was, you know, a few years older than me, we both really knew who and what we wanted in our lives. We weren't kids. So we came to each other as fully mature, whole adults. Uh, and, and we, we 20, we just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary last week and yeah. are still are more in love now than we were when we met. So we were working with a very solid foundation to begin with. We weren't kids. Um, he, I think he hid a lot from me of how upset he was while I was going through it. And it wasn't until later that he disclosed to me how there were times he would go in his office, you know, in the house. He had an office in our in, in our place. He would go in there and close the door while I was lying in bed and put his head down on his desk and cry. Um, he's a very sensitive and emotional guy. Uh, although I don't know that he'd admit that up front, but he is. <laughs> and he shockingly just accepted it. He just accepted me with, I never wear this nose around the house. In fact, there's a story I tell in my book that really illustrates how accepting my husband was. And uh, it was Passover and I had people over. I was having people over. I, for the first time ever, actually hired a task rabbit person to come help me prepare. And this was maybe a couple of years after I lost my nose. And I had somebody coming I hadn't even ever met before. It was the girlfriend of a friend of ours. She's a, a doctor and I was like eager to meet her. And I was getting ready for the night and I put on my makeup and I did my hair and I looked in the mirror. It's like, don't I look nice? Oh, I look so good. And the woman came to the door to help. And I answered the door and she came in, didn't know me from Adam. She came into my kitchen. We're working away in the kitchen. The guests start to arrive. I answer the door. There's the woman I've never met before. Hi, it's so nice to meet you. She gives me a big hug. Her, her boyfriend, friend who is a little squeamish I, I went to hug him and he kind of like shied away from me I'm like what was that about that's kind of weird and he walked away and I didn't think about it and I had to go stir my matzo ball soup so I went into the kitchen and I lifted the lid on the pot and as I do because I'm wearing a hunk of rubber silicone on my face I leaned back so the steam wouldn't hit me in the face and as I did that I realized I'm not wearing a nose. Oh my God, I'm not wearing a nose. I just welcomed this stranger task rabbit person who doesn't know my story. A, all of my guests, including this woman who's never met me before, and I'm not wearing a nose. And I screamed out of the kitchen to my husband who was in the dining room with the guests, 
Why didn't you tell me I don't have a nose on? Oh my God. That's amazing. And he screamed back, because you look normal to me. <laughs> That's so fantastic. What a great story. Yeah, so uh, that's, I mean, it's just so, I've left the house now more times than I can count without a nose on and had to double back just because I forget. And, uh, and it, you know, with COVID and the masks, we went out to walk the dog. I got two blocks away before I, I thought, the mask isn't sitting right. Why is this mask not staying on? I didn't have a nose on. That makes sense. <laughs> How do you keep things like, um, like, uh, particulates and things from irritating you if you if your daily life doesn't really include wearing the nose then how do you keep that because that is a, you know it's a large cavity yes it is a large cavity and that's actually a great question and when i'm there are certain things and i tend to forget but there are certain things when i'm cleaning house or change you know changing a litter box or doing something like that that yes i have to be very careful because anything even spraying perfume you, you know just there's no hair in there there's no filters in there and more than once i have given myself a face full of dust or crap or stuff and i i have a uh a uh to rinse a spray saline a saline spray and if if it's really bad i immediately run into the bathroom and just douse myself with saline spray and then try and spit out because it goes down into your throat and i try and spit out whatever i've just exactly. inhaled um so and there are some things that you know my husband but paul his name is paul by the way that paul has to i start to do it and i go oh honey i need you to to do this because it's just getting in my nose or i put a nose on and then i do it but does, does your prosthetic like, does the prosthetic have uh hairs and things like a filter no it just stuff? has nostrils uh -huh. so that i can breathe mm -hmm. but there's no hair or filters or anything in there this may be the world's dumbest question but when you sneeze uh, how does that work out <laughs> That's not the world dumbest question. The two questions I get most often are, do you have a sense of smell? Which the answer is yes. Uh, and and can do you sneeze? What do you do when you sneeze? Um, sometimes when I sneeze, it expels out of my mouth. Um, you know, well, a lot of times when I sneeze, I don't have my nose on because I'm at home. Uh, it just, it you just sneeze like a normal person. It just, yeah. I don't know, it it comes out of both cavities yeah 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 i have sneezed, sneezed sneezed sitting at my computer and ended up with having to clean off my screen because <laughs> yeah. <I've> just, done <laughs> that. <laughs> so yeah it just behaves like a normal sneeze let's get to the book you wrote a book okay. uh it came out this past year or you know in, in july yeah yeah and uh noseworthy great name for the book Thank uh, you. how did you come it, this is what it looks like yes lovely perfect noseworthy i know no one but you will see this but there it is well i'll, I'll put all the information on the links page so they can find it and all that but um when you said that you tried your hand at fiction and then realized that you were a memoirist and i'm assuming that you must have been keeping track of this experience to some degree to get the feelings out and the 
Yes. Well, there is a website called Caring Bridge. Are you familiar with that at all? I, from other friends who've had cancer, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And for, for your listeners who may not know what it is, caringbridge.org is a site where if you have any kind of chronic medical condition, it may not even be cancer, um, you can open a page on there and put down what's happened, update it with what's happening to you so that your friends and family can all find out without bothering you and without you or your loved ones having to make a million phone calls or send a million emails saying this is the latest that's going on. So my niece, Sarah, um, opened a Caring Bridge site for me. And because I was just going through all this stuff and didn't really have time to deal with it. And she opened that for me and I started writing on it. And as a writer, and I have had some things published, I've had articles and essays and other things published, a couple of short stories years and years ago. So I started writing on this thing and telling people this is what's happening. And it became my daily journal, essentially. And as a writer, you know, you can't just... Um, just write just the facts, ma'am. Here it is. Here's what, here's the daily report. Here's the medical report. You know, of course, I'm giving descriptions and embellishments and talking about feelings. And I was very honest on it. I was just upfront. This is horrible. This is great. You know, this is how I'm feeling today. I have no energy. Um, this happened today and it's wonderful. And all the angst around the unanswered questions, because with cancer, the biggest concern, the biggest thing, creator of fear are unanswered questions. And every time I would get a question answered, another question would present itself. And until you feel like you've got all those answers, you don't feel safe. You feel vulnerable. You feel like, I, I don't, am I going to make it? Am I going to live? Is this going to be okay? Is my life going to be normal? And all of those questions are in those Caring Bridge journals. So about a month or two in, people started saying, you got to make this into a book. You got to make this into a book over and over, like haranguing me. When are you going to turn this into a book? In a loving way, haranguing me, of course. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, I really got to do that. Yeah, I should do that. And every time I thought about doing it, it's like, well, not really ready. Okay, the journey's not really over. I need some perspective. And when I finally made my last entry in that journal, and I knew, and if you read the book, you'll understand why at that the last entry, I felt like this is it. I'm done. I don't have to write anymore in on Caring Bridge. And I said my goodbyes to everybody. And I thought, okay, well, now I'm done. Now it's time to work on the book. But no, couldn't bring myself to do it. Every time I thought about doing it, the last thing I wanted to do, I had just spent an entire year living in this world of cancer and tests and the unknown and questions and waiting for the prosthetic, which took way longer than I anticipated. So I was without any anything for 10 months. Uh, and I work in a job where I'm face to face with strangers every day. And I went back to work, even though I didn't have my prosthetic. And I just couldn't do it. So years pass. And I think, okay, maybe I'm ready now. This was about three years ago. And I started to write it. I wrote the opening because it really needed kind of some a framework. What happened before I got diagnosed and who was I and what has happened since? And 
for some reason, I, who have a pretty low drama life, except, as I like to say, for that little cancer thing, something happened in 2017, and my life and Paul's just exploded into a series of of issues that needed to be dealt with surrounding our living circumstances. We had to move. We were in a horrible car accident. You know, all, all these things happened, and I just abandoned my project. Okay, fast forward, COVID. I'm at home. I got nothing to do. Four o'clock in the morning, how am I going to occupy myself for the next? <gasps> the book. I can finally write the book. And that is what I did. Every morning after breakfast, I'd come up to my office and I'd sit down and I would work on the book. And I then I started to hunt for a publisher. And I was very fortunate to be introduced to Tom Brew, who is the editor of uh, Hilltop 30 Publishing Group. And he and I had some discussions and I sent him the manuscript and he said, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's make this happen. And I was so happy. <laughs> Fantastic. Tell me about the car accident. What happened there? Um, we had the dog in the car uh, who was strapped into her car seat in the back, which my friends have made fun of. Your dog has a car seat. And we were just driving down the street, minding our own business. And a 16-year-old girl who had just gotten her license was probably on the phone in an SUV, made a left turn just without even paying attention right into us. And I thought it was very traumatic because I saw that SUV barreling down on Paul's driver's side. And I thought he's going to die. So forget me dying. He's going to die. My husband's going to die. I mean, it was like that thing they say slow motion. And it is like that. It's like, no, crap. And uh, all the airbags went off. Smoke filled the car. I thought the car was on fire. We panicked. We were like, we have to get out. We have to get out. We couldn't open the doors. We have to get the dog out. I mean, it was just mayhem. People from the street ran to help us and pulling open the car, trying to get us out. And we're finally, they get us out. We're sitting on the curb. The, you know, somebody called 911. The fire engines came. The EMT guy bends over me sitting on the curb. I'm, Paul is having heart palpitations. He has some heart stuff. They bring an ambulance for him and, and they're about to take him away. And he leans over to me, this EMT guy, and he says, ma'am, do you wear a prosthetic? And I'm thinking, this is a stupid time to ask me that question. And I realized my nose is gone. And he took me back to the wreckage of my car and we had to hunt through the wreckage to find my nose. Which I was going to ask that because I like, imagine the EMT coming up to you going, holy shit, she lost her nose in this accident, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. And OK, so since you said holy shit, that was exactly I wasn't sure if I should say that. But yes, Good, everyone. So I cannot even imagine what the people who helped me get out of the car must have thought but uh i got yeah the airbag just knocked it right off and and they took paul away in the ambulance the dog was frantic because she's daddy's girl and she, and you know i had a friend come and pick us up and take us into the hospital it was just it was very very the most traumatic thing was thinking he was going to die that was and i had ptsd a little bit i never really known 
what they meant by that, but I would close my eyes and see it. You know, that is what, you know, I can yeah. imagine soldier, soldiers, you know, you close your eyes and you see that image over and over and over of the, of the thing coming at you. Well, so, thank God for the dog's car seat or, or yes. the dog might've passed away. Yeah. Yes, she would, she would have, I don't think she would have survived. She would have been thrown. Who knows how that would have worked That's out. Good PSA yeah. for everybody listening. Yes. PSA, get your dog a good car seat yes. and it makes sure it hooks onto the harness yeah. uh, to the seatbelt so that, yeah. Yeah, that's good yeah. advice. When, um, and I keep going back and forth, I know in the timeline, but <laughs> how okay. long, um, you said you went uh, an entire 10 months without the prosthetic as you were waiting for yes. it to arrive. Yes. How long until your brain adjusted to seeing a different face in the mirror? Oh, that's, um, that's a hard question to answer. First of all, just to answer a question you didn't ask, what I wore on my face while I had no prosthetic, my doctor had created a little clear plastic mold of a nose. So I would tape that over the hole with flesh colored band-aids. And then I would put little, sometimes I'd put little flower or ladybug stickers on it to, uh, to kind of, and you know, so kids wouldn't be afraid of me. Uh, but it was very obvious that there was something really, you know, looked like I'd been in a, in an accident. As far as how long it took me to adjust, um, I would say, many months because it kept changing. What I first saw was you saw what I just had. It's very clean. It's narrow. It's big, but it's not, doesn't take up my whole face. And if you're really not squeamish, I should send you a picture. The, when I got the bandages off, the wound was that much of my face. So that's I mean, over it, your cheeks and everything. It was, yes, it was yeah. enormous. And it was, it had, you know, the stitches were visible and the dried blood and the, I mean, and the, and the, remember they had grabbed, well, you don't know, but they had grafted skin from my thigh around the edge to close off sort of the sure. mucous membrane that's the inside of your head from the skin. And it was enormous. And I, I mean, it was just, it was terrifying. I mean, anybody who saw me would have gone, oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I went. <"Ugh." laughs> um, so it, that didn't really settle down and shrink and clean it up for months. Um, so it was it, it was. But by the time I got my prosthetic, I was actually pretty used to seeing myself in the mirror without it. So it was less than a year, I would say. Mm hmm. Did you, and, and I, you are working the whole time. So what did I, you, how did, what did you learn about other human beings during the course of that? That some of them are incredibly nice. Some of them, not so much, but that almost everybody has a story about a family member uh, or a friend who either has had melanoma or some kind of cancer or had some kind of disfigurement uh, because I would wear that. I was off work for, maybe three months. And then I went back to work and I was wearing the plastic thing with the bandages and the little stickers. And uh, I would, I was 
I felt I, you know, as a writer, I kind of have this natural disclosure complex, right? So I would, they would answer the door and I would say, hi, I'm Barbara with Closets by Design. Um, I said, having a little medical thing here. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And, you know, sometimes if I felt comfortable enough, I'd say, if you have any questions, you can ask me. Otherwise, you know, let's just take care of what we need to take care of. And a lot of people would say to me, like after I'd been there for an hour or so, you know, my aunt, you know, had melanoma. She won't come out of her room. Her face is disfigured. Um, I want to tell her your story so that she knows it's okay. Um, those were really kind of up, not uplifting, but the fact that they would use my story to help somebody else, which was part of the whole idea of writing the book. Um, and and a couple of people were just, may I use the a-hole word? A couple of people were just yep. assholes. Yeah. You know, I had one guy point at me and say, what's going on with, with, with your nose there? And that was actually after I had my prosthetic, my first prosthetic. What's going on with your nose there? It's like, really, dude. Like so much cocaine. I mean, <laughs> so much. <laughs> I should have. How did it change how you saw um, like the, the, the love in your life? You know, because you, the, the, the facial thing is one thing, but the idea that you were, you could have died had it gone, had you not caught it, had you not listened to your gut. How does it, does it change how you see the people in your life and even how you live your life? Yes, it does. All those things. Um, obviously, the cliche is it gives you a new appreciation. And it does. I mean, there's no, how do you not, you know, I could easily not be here right now. And so I, I'm, I've always been a person who has had a lot of gratitude for things, the good things in my life anyway. I mean, that's just sort of who I have always been. And this is just every, every fork in the road during the process of that year when I went through this, every fork in the road, there was a could go very badly or could be okay. Every single one was okay. And that was some kind of miracle to me. I, all of the horrible things that might have happened, even including my treatment, I, I didn't need radiation. All of those things were, I was so grateful for. And the people that were supportive of me, I was really kind of astounded at who showed up. Mm -hmm. I mean, people just were amazing and kind and people I hadn't seen for years. And one of my childhood friends printed out all of these pictures of us as kids and, and framed one of me as a child. And she, she said, this is my favorite picture of you. It's up on my wall now. I mean, just wonderful things. And as far as my behavior, not much of a change in terms of, because I've always been the, okay, it'll be an adventure kind of person when faced with something weird. Uh, I, I'm not a person who fears change. I've changed jobs when I've needed to. I've left men when I needed to. You know, it's not like I'm going to be stuck here because I don't know what else to do. I, I do believe in changing my circumstances uh, and making that choice. But here's the funny thing. And I've, I've said this before, although I don't think it's in the book. I don't wear white underwear anymore. <laughs> 
So for years I had, you know, all my white and, and beige, you know, a tan underwear that, you know, you just buy white underwear because that's what you're buying. And then every once in a while I buy like a really cute pair with flowers on it or ladybugs or butterflies or hearts or whatever, or I'm sexy, you know, one silly things. And I would only wear those underwear on my days off. Because those were my days and those were special days. And when this happened, it's like, they're all special days. And all I buy now, are I mean, I have more stripes, polka dots, hearts, um, leopards, uh, doggies, you know, things. Uh, my entire drawer is many, you know, from The Gap or Victoria's Secret or whatever. They're all fun underwear. And I, I have one pair of white underwear that I was wearing for a while under white pants in the summer. And then I stopped even bothering to do that. I, I don't, if you can see the pattern in my undies, good for you. Enjoy it. That's I hope so it gives you a smile. <laughs> That's so fun. I love it. Do you, do you dream in your dreams? Do you have a nose or do you have a prosthetic or do you have your original nose? I don't know. I don't even, it doesn't even, that's so funny. I've never really thought about it, except there are the, oh my God, I'm in public and I don't have a nose on dreams. I had, do have those. Um, you know, I, I'm at work and, and suddenly I re, I'm at a meeting of all these designers and I suddenly realize I forgot to put on a nose. You know, those are pretty standard. I didn't study for my test. I'm on stage naked. I don't have a nose on kind of dreams. But in my other dreams where that is not the issue, I have no idea. I'm going to have to try and be present in my dreams. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. Um, what about things like costs? Because cancer is expensive, firstly, and there are people all across the world who don't have the, yeah. the kind of money where they can say, okay, well, this is, this is my choice, death prosthetic i can't afford a prosthetic i don't want to go through life you know you obviously are very centered and know who you are many people spend lifetimes trying to get to that point yes so do you have thoughts about that yeah i do and it, it's it's another one of those gratitude things um whether everywhere every which way i went the fork went the right way i was so lucky because Kaiser, you know, Kaiser Permanente. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for people who are in states that don't have Kaiser per Permanente, it's a nonprofit health maintenance organization. It's a form of insurance. If you are a member, they provide all of the specialists, everything at no, co not no cost, you know, there's a $25 copay for a doctor visit. Uh, I believe my surgery because I didn't stay overnight, my surgery was a hundred dollars. Whoa! You know? Yeah, I spent less on my cancer and the two surgeries required for it uh, than I did on the root canal that <laughs> resulted from you know when you're messing around with all that stuff. You know, one of my nerves got damaged from the other surgeries, and I ended up needing a root canal in the front tooth. The root canal cost way more than the cancer. 
even with dental insurance, by the way. So the I I paid almost nothing for my surgery. I paid very little for any of my multitude. I mean, there were hundreds of doctor's appointments over the course of that year, including the therapist. And the prosthetic was done by UCLA, not Kaiser, because Kaiser doesn't have a, you know, a prosthodontic department. They sent me to UCLA and covered it, all of it, except for my copay. Um, It was just, it was unbelievable. And these prosthetics, they cost about uh, somewhere between six and $10,000 a pop. So uh, now that has changed over the years. They used to provide coverage for two noses every time I had them made. They no longer do that. So now when I get a new nose made, they only cover the cost of one nose. And I actually pay for the cost of the second nose because I want to have two nose. If I'm going to go through the process of doing it, which is arduous, I might as well have two done at one time so they last longer. Why is it arduous? Um, what, what is uh, you have to go every couple of weeks. You sit in a chair. They put the mold on you. Uh, mm-hmm. They sculpt. They paint. You go back over and over until they feel like they get it right. And then, you know, they have to do a mold and you have to, that's not fun. They fill that cavity with some kind of molten stuff that, I mean, it's just, it's just not a fun process. Um But for people who don't have that, I have no idea how, and people who are in states where you don't have a good prosthodontist, I have no idea how those people cope. I have no idea how those people would ever pay for something because, of course, you can probably get the surgery to remove your cancer, um, but all of the aesthetic stuff afterwards i don't know how anybody does that and there are people who are basically recluses because they haven't been able to get any kind of decent look i i i i'm very fortunate not to know people that don't have some kind of coverage through a job even if it's not great coverage and i did have very you were asking about friends and loved ones i had a, my friend tara who's actually my husband's ex-girlfriend but now she's my friend i love that <laughs> i know i thought that was an amusing tidbit my friend tara when all this was happening she's a musician and she said i want to do a concert for you and raise money to help you cover the costs and i said well that is just amazing. Let me see where we are with the cost. I never needed it. Never needed it. We could. We covered everything. Um, I went on disability for a few months, but other than that, I didn't really lose much in work pay except for those couple months. And um, but that's uh, you know that's kind I of imagine, amazing. I imagine there are funds out there, and I'll try. I'll search that out and put that on the links page of places where people can donate to help those less fortunate too. Yes. And, you know, the typical GoFundMe kind of thing for, for, you know, your family may start one for you to try and raise money, but that's not an easy thing to do if you don't have a platform. Yeah. And also there's a, there's a sense of pride. I think that people have difficulty asking for help in general. Right. And uh, as you had mentioned, there's a lot of fear around things like that as well, how they'll be seen and, how they feel about themselves. How often do you have to replace the nose? 
Uh, usually every couple of years. They're supposed to last about five years, but I believe that's based on the fact that most people who get them are older and not living a, you know, unless you, unless you have a prosthetic because you were in some kind of an accident, like a motorcycle accident, uh, somebody uh, at UCLA was one of the, he had lost part of his face from a motorcycle accident. They were repairing him or a soldier. UCLA is famous for fixing up soldiers who have lost eyes, ears, noses, cheeks, lips at war. But for a lot of people, if you're older, you don't really do much with them. But I have my nose on and off a million times a day. I work in a job where I'm on construction sites a lot. And a lot of that drywall dust and sawdust and dirt. There's just a lot of dirt. Sometimes when I clean out, you know, I can't believe how much dirt is inside my prosthetic when I clean it out. Um, and I'm outside all the time and I cover it with a, I wear a hat most of the time and now there's the mask, but they fade. The paint yeah. job on the face, like you can see it matches my skin color fairly yeah, well. It's really because they painted it that paint job fades and then the actual color of the silicone, which is a more yellowy thing, doesn't look right. Yeah, it's an extraordinary story. How might people find Noseworthy? On Amazon, obviously, and then you have a website. I do have a website. And for a while in the month of January, because COVID was so bad, I was not encouraging people to do this because I didn't want to go to the post office. But if you want an autographed copy you can, my publisher just sent me a whole new batch. So now I've got like this batch of books. If you want an autographed copy, you should email me at noseworthy2020 at gmail.com. And you can post that wherever you want to yeah, post it. Sure. Uh, if you can get it on Amazon, it will not be autographed. Uh, it will be um, maybe a couple dollars cheaper because I do have to cover my shipping costs. Uh, if you're a Prime member, it'll be shipped cheaper. And they had it on sale for a couple of weeks around Christmas. I thought that was interesting. But now it's back at its normal price. It's about 20 bucks. Um, the print quality thing, I think of my printed, because we had an actual printer print these up. I think it's a little bit better maybe than what you get on Amazon, but not enough to make a difference if it's just easier for you to go on Amazon. Barnes & Noble also has it, which I only just found out. Um, some bookstores are carrying it, or you can request your bookstore to get it if you're a Luddite and you don't, uh, you don't know how to order. But if you're listening to a podcast, pretty sure you know how to order off of Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to do an Audible for it? You know, I, I'm not sure about that. I, it's, it hasn't really be, been a an option for me. I'm not sure how to make that happen with my publisher. It's, it's not really, I don't know that I do my friend Tara, who I mentioned, um, she knows a little bit more about that. And I've actually been meaning to ask her what she knows about that because it would be nice uh, to be able to read it out loud for people who would want an audible. If you know anything about that, I'm happy to. Uh, I can find out and send you info. For oh. sure. Yeah. I would love that. But yeah. especially uh, books that are read by the author. I think Audible really likes that. So especially when it comes to nonfiction. So yeah, yeah. Memoir. I wouldn't think anybody else would be able to, to read this. And I did act in high school. So well, there you go. <laughs> -da. -da. Uh, and your the website, is it noseworthy.com? 
com? It's um, the no, the, it's only a Facebook page. Oh, it's a Facebook page. Got it. Yeah. So if you go to Noseworthy, it's just the Noseworthy uh, Facebook page. And oh, by the way, if you're looking for it on Amazon, um, there is an author, Dr. Noseworthy, who has a couple of prominent books. Now my book has sold enough copies so that it comes up pretty close to the top, sometimes at the top, depending. But if you first see this thing by Dr. Noseworthy, keep looking, it's there. Okay, well, and I'll, again, I'll put links on the links page, which makes life easy for the listeners to just go to one Yeah, space. I've got a bit.ly link that, you, that takes you right to the book. That's perfect. Yeah, send me whatever links you want me to post on that. Okay. Barbara, thank you. This has been fantastic. I really oh. appreciate it. It's so much fun to talk to you and I appreciate your, your great questions and, um, you know, thanks for letting me ramble on about my life. <laughs> I love it. It was so interesting. And everybody listening, please make sure you get those moles checked. It's, it's not too late. You can do a baseline screening, go to the doctor and say, I'd like to, you know, have everything looked at. And then they have a, something to go off of so that if there are changes, even incremental, tiny yes. incremental ones, they'll notice. Absolutely. And, yeah. And let, let Barbara be also a lesson that if you feel like you're not being heard, if you feel like you know something is going on, be an advocate for yourself, stand up for yourself. And if that doctor doesn't listen, then get a different doctor. Yes. And can I add one more thing, please? Yeah. Sunscreen. And there are also, I know my husband hates sunscreen because he said, oh, it's thick, it's gooey, it's greasy. Try sunscreens until you find one you like. There are some really good ones. There are two different kinds. There's the one that actually blocks it and those have zinc and things like that. And then there are the kinds that are chemical. Some people don't like that. That is what I use. And you use them differently. The sunblock kind that have zinc go on top of your moisturizer and your makeup. Up. The kind that are chemical go directly on your skin before you put other things on. So learn, learn about sunscreen. And especially if you're someone who's outdoors a lot, or at least wear a hat, something and, and take care of yourself because man, it, the number of cases of melanoma have just skyrocketed in recent years. Protect yeah. yourself. Yeah, I have very sensitive skin uh, as far as being oily and stuff. And I found a sunscreen that I absolutely love, whose name I can't think of right now, but I'll, I'll put a link on that one too. It, you know, just from, I get nothing from saying that. It's just, right. I really like that one. So if it helps anyone, it's a really good one. Well, there's two that, that are really top notch. One, I use Neutrogena. Uh, it's very light and, and just soaks right into your skin. And the, uh, the other one is uh, La Roche-Posay. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I do. Sure, sure. Yeah. And theirs is a little bit more expensive. It's supposed to be excellent, but I go through so much of it that I opt for the Neutrogena, which is a little bit more budget friendly. Is, it, is face skin more vulnerable to skin cancer or does it matter? Well, yeah, because your face is always exposed. Well, again, COVID mask, not so much. But in normal life, your face is constantly exposed. And even in your car, if you've got the car window down, the sun, it comes in. My windshield is UV treated. 
um, on the most recent car that I got a few years ago, but not everybody's windshield is UV treated. So the sun beating down on you, first of all, it ages you. And second of all, yes, it's cancer causing. So just sitting in the, at my desk, I'm sitting next to a window where the sun comes in. Our face is constantly exposed as are our hands. Yeah, it's a tricky so. thing because we need vitamin D for survival. It's this yes. whole, it's this Well, that's why I like the chemical one and not the, the, the block one, not the zinc one, because I also have issues with vitamin D. If you use a chemical sunscreen, vitamin D can still absorb into your skin. That's great. That's good to know. Yeah. Barbara, thank you. I thank appreciate you. It. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.